I think I know most everyone here. My name is Ken Basinger. We're going to start a Sunday school series on the Pilgrim's Progress. It should be pretty fun. Um, I've been asked several times by the elders to, to do a series on Pilgrim's Progress, and my response every time has been, who? Me? <laughs> Why me? And the problem is when you start mouthing off around here and you start using phrases from Pilgrim's Progress, you mention it in past Sunday schools, then they somehow think you're the expert. Boy, are they going to be surprised. Um, As I think about Pilgrim's Progress, I think, and I've shared this a little bit with guys who were asking about it, like, you remember when you were five years old and your parents got you a bicycle and you started riding for the first time without the training wheels, right? And you're just, wee, you're having a good time riding around, the freedom, and that's kind of how I am with I just enjoyed the book. And then imagine stopping the five-year-old, whether it's you or your child, and saying, could you stop a minute and explain how this bike works? <laughs> the sprockets and the parts, can you tell me how that works? And they're going like, what are you talking about? Just the wee, I just want to have a good time. It's kind of with me with Pilgrim's Progress. I, I started reading, I don't read I'm not a, really a reader. I know some of you are. I don't, if I have free time, I don't sit and read. I, I, you know, I'm a math person. I like doing, solving for X. You know, right? I'll read when I have to read and when I really enjoy something. And so I started reading Pilgrim's Progress to my, to my boys when they were young because it's an adventure and there's swords and battles and it's a Christian life. And so we read through that to a level that they would understand. But each time I read through the book and then... As I became an adult, I started going, ah, what is John Bunyan, the author, talking about here? And you start to learn so much more that he's infused in this book that, you know, the average five-year-old wouldn't pick up. So what I'm saying to you is this book, Pilgrim's Progress, is really a book that really works with all age groups, from the youngest when you're reading to them to the older adult, uh, as I've read it in my adulthood, things that you begin to understand and see in there. So with that careful caution to you, uh, the non-reader presenting Pilgrim's Progress, uh, we should try to start today. Today is going to be an introduction. We're going to do about probably five weeks of this in a series. Um, Yeah, I, I even had questions on whether is this even appropriate to do a book uh, for Sunday school? Uh, I know we do history, and that's pretty exciting, but I've seen um, two pastors, and once in my old church that I was in Austin, doing Sunday school series on, series on Pilgrim's Progress, so I'm, I'm real comfortable that the themes in here are very helpful because they just kind of cover the entire phase of our Christian life. So what we're going to do today is mainly an introduction. So, and by the way, I, I, I try to be a little interactive with you guys, uh, just for me, for my sake. How many of you have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Raise your hand. Ah, that's warming. Very nice. How many of you have started reading it but never quite finished it? Uh, okay. Honest person. Honest person. Uh, did you know that there is a part two of Pilgrim's Progress? All right. Yeah. Bunyan wrote the, the first part, and just a few years later, he wrote the, the second part about Christian, who's the main character. His, his wife is part of the second part. Just curious, anybody read part two? One, two, a few. Okay. I've only read the synopsis. I've never real quite fi- I'm the one who started it and never finished the part two, so uh, full honesty there. So what we want to do is talk about the book this morning. We're going to really mention a little bit about John Bunyan himself uh, because it's, it's so ingrained within the book. And then we're going to really jump into the beginning of the book and kind of talk about how it starts. The Pilgrim's Progress um, was written, it was published in 1678 by John Bunyan. He was a Puritan Baptist pastor. The second book he wrote in 1684, so that was just a few years later, it's been translated into, for your handouts, 200, at least 200 languages. So that's pretty amazing. A book that old that has been uh, translated in so many languages. Outside of the Bible itself, it's the second most published book in the English language. Imagine that. 
after you know three centuries that this book is still number two. Number one, of course, is the Bible, right? Um, a couple of resources I wanted to, as we started out, that have been very helpful to me and that I would commend to you. Uh, in January 2019, Dan did a biography on John Bunyan, and I, I know he's, that's coming up in January. Those are pretty exciting, but two years ago he did that. It's very helpful to go back, excellent kind of discussion of his ministry and the times that John Bunyan lived. The second resource is put out by Ligonier Ministries. It's by Derek Thomas. It's called A Guided Tour. So Pilgrim's Progress, A Guided Tour. He covers in really small lectures, both part one and part two. And you can just stream this. Uh, old people like me use DVD, but you can stream it with Apple TV and Amazon Prime, I think. So this is really, really cool. I, I listened to this guy and he's, I think he's from Scotland or something. And I found myself talking with this accent. Like, why am I talking? He's like, very compelling. Uh, the second one is, um, Dan gave this to me. Wayne Mack did a series on the Pilgrim's Progress. It's called Christian Life Issues. It's like a two-volume set. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and it's extremely helpful. Very easy to read. It's not very technical. But it's just like listening to a sermon on each part of what Pilgrim talks about. I'm going to have these resources up here if you want to look at them, uh, but, but Wayne Mack's version of Pilgrim's Progress is really helpful. It's a really deep dive into some of the details. Okay, this book was written in the 17th century, right? And it's hard to keep the language updated. That's a long time ago. So the real challenge today is getting a version of Pilgrim's Progress that is relatable and readable and not confusing in some of the terms. So it's a real challenge to make sure you, you do that well. And a couple of books I want to, versions I want to promote to you. One is uh, by Cheryl Ford. She wrote a book, uh, I mean, edited the book of Pilgrim's Progress, updated it, and she's been commended by a lot of the um, Christian leaders that you and I would love, um, that it's very close to the original. They changed a few of the analogies and the wording but it's really close to the author. You don't want to add too much. A lot of translations have added too much to the Pilgrim's Progress, and some people have complained about that, but Cheryl Ford's book's an excellent uh, resource. I'm, I'll be using that uh, version as we go. Okay, but my personal favorite is this one that was pretty popular by C.J. Lovick. This Pilgrim's Progress version you may have seen. In fact, I was Googling the other day, and this version popped up. Uh, I like this version. This is my copy. It's just, I think it's a good translation, very close. I don't make a lot of changes, but the artwork is really cool. So if you have kids or you're like me and you like pictures still, you know, uh, this has got some really cool pictures that you can stop and especially with your kids can kind of show them kind of what they're reading because that is really important. Okay, let's see. The purpose the purpose of Pilgrim's Progress, why did um, John Bunyan, what was the, what's the usefulness of Pilgrim's Progress? Um, purpose, I believe, are written for the believer in Christ, for warning, for self-examination, for discernment, and for encouragement. All those four categories. And I like what uh, Mac wrote in his Christian Life Issues version. He had, I think, two pages of reasons why you should read Pilgrim's Progress and the purpose I've narrowed it down for you, uh, for just a few here, um, I think about seven or eight. And I've written them here. One is to clarify the gospel from counterfeits. And so constantly through the book of Pilgrim's Progress, you're confronted with little changes to the gospel, and you almost feel like you want to read through Galatians, and you know, just these, Paul is talking to the Galatians about these subtle changes in the gospel, and and legalism and all those things, many of these are addressed in this book. It also helps describe how sanctification works. Wouldn't it be lovely if sanctification were just a gentle meadow plain that gently rises to the sunset, right? That's not how sanctification works, amen? We have hills, we have valleys, some deep valleys, some high places where we rejoice, we have peace, and just we want that, those moments to, to last but the Christian life is full of those ups and downs as we pursue heaven. And I think Pilgrim's Progress is a way of helping see that in, in real life. 
um, to explain the nature of spiritual warfare. I mean, from the confrontations of battles with swords and, and serious fights all the way to those subtle spiritual warfares that come in quietly um, that need to be corrected. It also highlights the importance of the church and pastors in the believer's life. And as you read through the book, you see again and again Pilgrim interacting either with a pastor or with the church on his way when he needs encouragement, refreshment, and direction. Uh, The value of Christian friendship. So many of the people, especially if you're younger, if I've talked to you very long, I've talked to several young believers, and that's one of the questions I asked them. I said, you need to be in a really good church, and do you have a really good Christian friend that encourages you in the faith, that you can talk to, uh, because we need that. And we are in a community and in a body of encouragement, but we also need those personal people in our lives. All the way through the book, most of the time, Christian is paired up with someone that is there to encourage him along the path. And we should cherish those friendships. Hadn't thought about this, but Mac makes the point it's a book on how to counsel people. And you think, well, what is that? What is counseling? How is that connected? But if you think about uh, counseling as just uh, intense discipleship, and so biblical counseling, and we stress that a lot here, is really just intense discipleship of training one another to be Christ like. And so you see a lot of these conversations in the book where he's meeting characters and he's interacting or he's with a, another believer and they're just trying to counsel one another when one or, one or the other of them starts to fall off the trail, the other one counsels them back, back on the path. So that's a really neat to see. How to examine the deceitfulness of sin. Wouldn't it be great if sin knocked on your door and said, here to kill, steal, and destroy, come on in, right? Doesn't come that way comes in very quietly, very subtly, and takes a while sometimes before we find out that we're being carried away by, by some deceitful sin. And what I really, you really appreciate about Pilgrim's Progress, this is highlighted a lot in the book, is the keeping heaven's promises in view. Especially when you're at the high points, you're rejoicing, you think about heaven, and really in the low points, when you feel those places where you feel no hope, you need to have heaven there with you as a hope. And throughout the book, the, the whole theme is getting there and having our hope set there, even when times are hard. I, as we read through Colossians this time around with, in the, in the ser- services, we, I kind of followed along with trying to memorize some sections, but I love this Colossians chapter 1. And in ch- chapter 1, verse 5, a reading here, Paul commends the Colossians, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. As I read through that this time around, I was really impressed at how we can present the gospel and we can talk about the essentials of our need for Christ, our sinfulness, what Christ has done on the cross. But the hope of heaven has to be a part of the gospel, that it just doesn't end here. Without heaven as our hope and his promises, really all of this becomes mute, right? If there's no future eternal life. So the book does a lot of stressing those points. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life. I I like how Derek Thomas writes, here's your quote here, When Jesus Christ liberates a sinner from the power of sin, he extends an invitation to a lifetime of discipleship. And I would only maybe tweak that a little bit and and put that there's an expectation of discipleship. Once you come to Christ as a believer, there's whole process. You have um, salvation, sanctification, and Thank you. Glorification. So this whole process is part of the Christian life. God expects us as believers to begin to grow, to get in the word, to be in a good church, and we start to become more like Christ. And the book is really a picture of what that journey is like. It's an encouragement to us in that way. 
Um, I do want to, as we start here at the beginning, to turn with me, if you would, to a very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission, and it really is really uh, the job of the church, not simply individuals. This is kind of a, a mandate. You'll see this in many church uh, statements of faith or um, their mottos, you might say. It's very important if you think about this. Verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage is both a mandate for the church and a great encouragement to the believer that he is with us every step of the way. You know, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a little Baptist church, and we stressed a lot on getting people saved. Never heard a thing about discipleship. And I don't think until I got to, to this church a long time ago that I really understood this mandate that we're not just to have people coming in. We're supposed to be training them and preparing them for heaven. This is the job of the church. I think you'll see a lot of that uh, presented in Pilgrim's Progress. Now, the warning, Pilgrim's Progress, is we don't want to compare it to Scripture. Even though it's, it's second in publishing, it's, it's clearly not Scripture. It simply refers us to Scripture, and the author has infused Scripture all the way along. If you get some of the uh, original versions, you'll notice that in the margins, if you're wondering where, where John Bunyan's getting some of his ideas, he lists the, the verses right next to that section. So you know, we can go right there and see what it is that he's referring to, and he does quite a bit of that. It is written in first person, is a narrator. So it's kind of cool. In, in, in reality, John Bunyan, is the author, is there with you. He's walking along with you as he tells the story and explains to you kind of what his, quote, dream is about and what he's writing about. And so uh, it's important to realize that He's with you, but also this, this book is also about his life. So you see his biography and the way the challenges that he had in his life, you see that infused through the book as you understand his life and his times. So in some sense, it's, it's very autobiographical. There's a lot of him infused in that. So with that, I want to move to the second part and just kind of review to you who John Bunyan is and his, when he lived and a little bit about him. Um, John Bunyan was born in 1628 in Alstow, England. Again, he was a Puritan Baptist pastor. He was in prison for some 12 and a half years. You can imagine that, being put in jail for the day or for the week. How about 12 and a half years? Uh, the first stint, I think, was six years for preaching without a license, and he gets out. What does he do? He was preaching without a license again. <laughs> Didn't seem to stop him. So they rail him up and bring him into jail again for another six years. And then what, he, what do they do when he, get him, when he gets out again? He goes out preaching without a license. <laughs> so for another six months, he's, he's in jail again, not knowing how long he's going to be there. But really a lot like the Apostle Paul during those times of being in jail, he became prolific in his writing. Uh, he found his real gifting with the pen, and the jailers would supply him a paper and pen, and people could come and visit, and he wrote. He wrote some 60 different books in his lifetime. Um, John Bunyan was mostly an uneducated man. Imagine this such a bright mind and really had no formal education, maybe two or three years at the time. And, I mean, that's pretty amazing. He, had, he was an extremely bright mind, and, it, and the Lord used it. He grew him uh, from his uh, uneducated days. His father was a tinker. A tinker is uh, what we call, well, they call it a mender of pots. And 
So he would go around fixing things. You know, today when something wears out, we just go get another one, right? Our appliances. Uh, then they would have the tinker come by and he would come and repair tools or uh, cooking utensils, that sort of thing. Wasn't, wasn't a big money-making job, but it was a consistent, hard-working job, and it provided for the Bunyan family. Okay, at age 16, dramatic, a lot of drama happens in John Bunyan's life. 16 years of age, his mother dies within a month, I think, or so. His sister dies, and then very soon after that, like within a month or so, his father remarries. So imagine at 16 years of age, all of your life is, is changed. It had a profound effect on Bunyan, and he, he leaves home at age 16, and he joins the war effort. So he becomes a soldier. I don't know if any of you know your uh, English history, but there's a war going on at the time between the parliament and the king, or the royalists. Uh, so this is happening. Oliver Cromwell, if you've heard that name, uh, took over for a while. And during this time of parliamentary rule, there was a lot of freedom in the churches. The churches grew a lot. They were able to, to preach freely. But when the, when the king comes back, then you get this persecution of the church. Now, I'll come back to that in a second on, on the persecution. So, so this is going on. He joins the war. He doesn't really see direct combat, but he sees a lot of the horror of the war, of people who've come back maimed, that have been in battles. So this has a, an effect on him. After the war, he comes back, and this period of time, he considers himself the chief of sinners, for your handout, the chief of sinners. In his carousing and his swearing, uh, he didn't think anyone was his equal in sinfulness. Not that he was particularly uh, sexually inappropriate or inactive, but or active. He was mainly his, his cursing and his foul mouth and the corruption that he knew was in him. He wrote in 19, excuse me, 1666, Grace abounding to the chief of sinners, which was an early book he wrote about really his, his autobiography about his conversion and what God did for him. At 21, he marries to a, a woman, we don't know her name, he, and he be, takes on the, the job of being a tinker. Now, she is from a Puritan family, uh, also um, brings in a couple of Puritan books that they treasure, but he is no believer at this time. He is a corrupt man, and he takes on this job, as his father did, of being a tinker. And so you can imagine fixing things. He would take his cart from town to town. He'd have this big, small anvil in his cart, and he would sling that over his back. Can you imagine the picture of this weight on his back and carrying it around and working on people's utensils where he goes? Some of that you see pictured, I think, in Pilgrim's Progress. This was his life. Uh, his wife had a, a profound effect on him toward godliness. He has several children with this first wife. Let me tell you a little about the 17th century, just so you remember where we are. Um, Martin Luther and the Reformation has just 150 years past that, so everyone is really enjoying the freedoms that have been purchased by that movement. Uh, many people have now a Bible, or if you're wealthy enough to have a Bible, the Scriptures now can be read freely. There was, at, uh, at this time in, in England, persecution. But it wasn't from the Catholic Church. Who was it from? Say it again. The Church of England. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, the Church of England. The Anglicans were the ones that were causing uh, persecution and putting uh, some of these uh, pastors that weren't conforming to uh, the Anglican views of the church and teaching and the books that they recommended, and their style of worship, all those things were involved. So uh, under the parliamentary rule, there was freedom, but under the, the king's rule, King Charles II, there were a lot of persecution. This is where we get some of the, these names that we know, the Puritans and the, the separatists. The, the Puritans really were a wonderful group of people. Think about it. You have the Bible now available to you, probably the Geneva Bible, and what a treasure that was. And they devoted their life to knowing these scriptures, of becoming more conformed to the image of Christ. And this was not something like today where we, we think everybody has a Bible. 
It was much treasured by that time, and it created some of the deepest, uh, greatest preachers and thinkers of, of our time, of any time. Uh, the separatists and the Puritans. Puritans wanted to purify a pure life, but they also sought to purify the church itself. They saw the changes that needed to happen. Uh, out of that group came the separatists that wanted to get out of, they saw no hope for the Reformation, they wanted to separate themselves. Many of these type of Puritans came to New England. So here's the connection with America. They're coming here and think of Thanksgiving, right? So really, it's all connected right here to this time period and this kind of persecution, why we have such a start in America. So persecution does have benefits, right? All right. So I mentioned the Bible. Many people had the Geneva Bible. But Bunyan at this time is still in a desperate state. And he begins to realize it. And there's a couple of events that happen in his life that you should know. Uh, again, he considered himself the chief of sinners. He, he kind of re- began to recognize his sinfulness because of a couple of things. And, and the first thing that happened, uh, that so he's walking around the, neighbor, the neighborhood and he's coming to a store. Several people are gathered around. And this woman of ill repute, let's just put it that way, hears him swearing. And she says publicly in a large group that your swearing makes me tremble. This is from this woman, right? And she says that he will be the ruin of all the youth in the town. Think of the source here, right? (laughs) And it really has an embarrassing and profound effect on Bunyan. He's very humiliated. He goes home and he starts to read his Bible. And this is a real change. He doesn't necessarily see salvation but he sees the rules, he sees the law, and he begins to make this reformation in his life. Things need to change. This is how I need to start living. But he doesn't really understand grace and the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So because Bunyan's life is so intermixed here, we're now going to kind of move into the book itself, and we're going to get started. Because I think at this point is where you're kind of introduced to Uh, Christian, who's the main character in Pilgrim's Progress. You see uh, Bunyan's life right here as it starts. So I think, did I include that first quote in your handout? I think I I did. All right. We're going to read through this. Uh, This is kind of how how it begins. And I've highlighted, I think, some of the the parts that I want you to, to see this. Very famous opening lines here. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a place where there was a den, or you might say a cave in some versions. Inside, I lay down to sleep, and as I slept, I had a dream. In my dream, I looked up and saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a certain place with his face turned away from his home. He carried a book in his hand and a great burden on his back. As I watched, I saw him open the book and begin to read. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Then, not being able to contain himself any longer, he cried out in anguish, asking, What shall I do? So these are pretty popular lines to begin the book. Uh, I want to highlight a couple of things. Now, this is kind of interesting that you see how there is so much in this opening paragraph. But if you're reading to your kids, you know, you're just reading through it and you're kind of moving on and yes, this, yes, and you move on. But as you become an adult and you read through this, you're like, wait, wait a minute. There's a ton of stuff here in this, this passage that opens up. And I want to just highlight a few things to you. Notice he says, as I walk through the wilderness of this world, just the way he, he words that, thinking of wilderness. I mean, you think, when you think of wilderness, maybe you think of Moses and them traveling around for 40 years, right, and, and there's no hope. You think of wilderness in the scriptures, uh, it's related to maybe an untamed, um, rebellious nature, not brought in conformity to God's laws. This is kind of the worldly system that we live in. From, from the fall of creation to today, 
We live in a wilderness in a world. So he's already identifying this to you. Uh, I came to a place where there was a den or a cave. All right, some of you Pilgrim's Progress people, what do you think he's referring to? Any idea? The cave. I know Dan knows this. Yes, he's in jail. Yeah, he's relating this to him being thrown in jail. Thank you. So he's, he's confined. He's in a dark place. Uh, he's Obviously, he has a pen and paper, but he's telling you here, this is where he is right now. He said, inside I lay down to sleep. As I slept, I had a dream. And I looked up and saw a man clothed in rags. Clothed in rags. This reminds us of Isaiah 64, 6. Uh, it says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. It's the, it's the knowledge of where you really are in standing with God. So here's a man. He's beginning to realize what he's really like, and it's not pretty. He was standing in a certain place, and you, you see that a decision has been made. His face is turned away from his home. That's interesting. You think about what Bunyan is referring to here. You think about the, the home as being a place where you're, you're, you feel like a, a rescue, a refuge from the world, right? You're, you want to rest there. This is where you have your meals. This is where you sleep. This is where you feel safe. This is where you find comfort. And this man is realizing it's not in my house. There's something greater than I need. And he's feeling this desire and this need to, to look for comfort. And he's finding no rest in it. So he's turning his face away from his home. You also see he's carrying a book. And that's a clear reference to the scriptures. He has a copy of the Bible, and he's reading it. And as a result of that, he's got a burden on his back. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then as, we, as the end of this passage starts, the beginning, you get this picture that he is in desperate need of direction. And he's crying out like the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. He talks about, what shall I do to be saved? He's talking to Paul there and this is where he is and this is where in essence Bunyan is as well in his life he's in this position of what do I need to do so we start in this town you later discover this town that he lives in has a name the name is called the city of destruction now you'll know in Pilgrim's Progress you don't have to guess on what he's talking about when he's talking about the characters and the towns and the places that he goes they all have names that tell you what they are he starts to describe to you why they're called that in the book. But in this allegory, he's not hiding anything. He wants you to think about why uh, they're where they are. And this is called the city of destruction. He does reference this, by the way. And so I'd like for us to turn to 2 Peter, if you could. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Verse 7 is referenced in in the book, but you can tell this section is what Pilgrim, this man's name is Christian, is seen. Let's start in verse 7. It says, wait, he's talking in, in verse 6, he's talking about the Lord uh, used the flood in the beginning, and in verse 6, through which the world at that time was being destroyed, flooded with water, by, verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of godly men. I want to move on that. Go on to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And, watch this, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Everything that we see here will be what? Burned up. <laughs> Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But, verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which what? Righteousness dwells. 
All right, so this is where Christians start. This is where Bunyan has a start. There's this desperate understanding that destruction is coming to my town, and I have got to get out. I've got to go somewhere because destruction's coming. But I need to go somewhere. He doesn't know where that is, but these passages tell us that he's, he needs to find the place where there is safety and where there is comfort. He needs, to, he needs some direction on where he is now. Do you realize that we all live in the city of destruction? So this is the point. And now we have points of peace here in the U.S. especially where we don't feel that pressure. We don't feel the, the, the fear, right? But that's not been the case usually. That's not the norm, normal life of the, of the Christian throughout time. It's been filled with persecution and people uh, persecuting them. In fact, the Lord says it's expected that that will come. And so since we all live there, we all need to turn our hearts from here to the future where this righteousness dwells. I want you to notice in this first passage that uh, he presents a face, a book, and a burden. And so, once again, the main central character that's going to go through the entire book here with you in this Christian life, his name is Christian. Part two is, again, Christiana, his wife, but this is all about his life, and really it's about all of our lives. This is really the reason why it's been so popular. This is the normative Christian life. Not that these happen in the same sequence that they have, but these are some very common things that are, are, we see in the Christian life. You find out that Christian is a father and a father of boys. But look at his face. You come into this scene and a decision has been made. And he's looking away from his house. Matthew 10, 37 puts this dire warning here from Christ. He says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That really starts to hit at the core of what we value. I mean, our families are precious to us. You find out later in, in the book how precious his family is to him, how, how he loved his wife and loves his children. And yet he's at a position where he, he's having to look away from his comforts. And he sees this great need to, to look beyond his family. We know that the book he has is the Word of God in his hand, and it's given Christian an understanding. He's opened up his mind, as we mentioned, on who he is and who God is. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the, the great benefits we have of being in the Scriptures every day is a new understanding, a fresh understanding of who we are compared to God. And let me tell you, uh, when you've had a week off, the gap starts to gradually close. You don't really recognize the great gap we have between a holy God and where we are. And when we end the scriptures every day, it reminds us, oh yeah, that's who I am. Oh yes, that's who he is. All loving and kind, but also fierce and wrathful against sin. This holy fear that we should have of God has to be refreshed in our mind. And as you walk into Pilgrim's Progress here at the beginning, this has all been unveiled to this man. He's carrying a burden on his back. It says a great burden. And, you know, if you, if you Google some of these pictures, that I was trying to find a good picture to place. I found one here you have on your handout. But just the idea of this weight that's just carrying you down, that you feel like you can't stand up straight because it's just the weight is so intense. It's hard to describe that, so Bunyan simply says it's a great burden. Uh, I think that's the advantage sometimes of having good picture books that, to show both yourself and your kids as you're reading through it. It reminds me of a lot of sections in Scripture. Uh, Romans 3 is a, is a great area that talks about uh, the inability of all of us to have any, anything good in us. But Romans 3 uh, talks about both the Jew and Gentile alike. We're all under the weight of sin. The odd thing is that we don't always know that, right? The unbeliever sometimes is, is scooting along in life, and he seems pretty happy with his sinfulness. doesn't seem to be weighted down by any particular uh, desire or need. And then you have the believer who hopefully is feeling that great burden 
every day, that you recognize your heart isn't inclined toward God. It needs to be corrected. Um, but it's interesting that we're, we're both in that state. We both have it, only that some don't recognize it's there. They don't recognize the weight that's hovering over them. But Romans 3, verse 20, it particularly says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So this is one of the, the benefits and the hard things of Scripture is that it brings us to this position of humility before God. And we see the weight of it. Two things I wanted to note here uh, so far is that uh, we mentioned already that in Pilgrim's Progress, all these characters have meaning. All these locations are telling you something. And we're watching them kind of be explained to us through the text and through the Scriptures that Bunyan puts in his margins. Uh, so again... Uh, we'll see each person that we come to meet, we'll have up front his name, and then we'll find out how he thinks or how they think. Here's another important thing. I, I told you that the Puritans treasure the Word of God so much that when you read Pilgrim's Progress at this time, John Bunyan expects and the Puritans expect that you know your Bible, <laughs> that you know it well. And so when he's referring to these things, He's just assuming that you know this stuff. And so every time I've read through Pilgrim's Progress, I'm surprised at how much I don't know, how much I don't understand from what he's referring to. But you have to have really that, that understanding. Yes, you can read the book and, and, and find a great story, but as you grow, you begin to see more and more about that. Uh, even this last time that I read through it, I was just surprised at how many things I keep missing in the book that really are profound that Bunyan includes in there. So let's go back to Bunyan for a minute. So he, he, here's another significant point in his life. He's living under this conviction of sin. There is a great fear over his life. He begins to read the scriptures, and he is really concerned that he is going to, be, he's going to die. And somehow, I don't know if you think about your own personal Christian life when you're coming to Christ, if you felt that weight of sin, I know I did, and there's this fear that, goodness, the wrath of God is upon me. What happens if I die today? Well, uh, two things. Remember, in the, in the 17th century, there was a big uh, push for the unpardonable sin. This was talked about a lot, and he thought, Bunyan thought, that he had committed the unpardonable sin. He was thinking that, uh, I've done that. Here's why. Uh, in his wrestling with the scriptures and, and during this period of time, he, was, he would say in his, in his biography that he felt like uh, there was this voice in his head that said, just renounce Christ and be done with him. And this kept, thought kept coming to him and coming to him. And finally one day he said, okay, I renounce Christ. And from that point on, he thinks, I've done it. I've, I've rung the bell. <laughs> Narnia reference. Uh, I've done the, the, the deed and I'm unsavable. He goes to visit a minister in another town because of his uh, anxiety the minister tells him, yeah, I think you have. I mean, this, I mean so now he's confirmed that he has no hope. So, you, you know, you feel that. You, you know, somebody in, in, the, in the ministerial position is telling you this. And so he, he's living under this constant fear. But a significant thing happens. The second thing that happens, he's working one day, and he hears some these Christian ladies working. I mean, sorry, they're, they're talking about their Christian life. And he's working, but he's listening to them. And they are so uh, joyful and so happy about Christ and the promises that he had. He looks at himself and he says, what is wrong with me that they have this and this great joy and their hope and I am living in desperation? Well, by God's providence, a group of friends introduces him to their pastor in Bedford, England. And let me find out where I am. his name is John Gifford. Uh, just a, a classical Baptist pastor, loves his people, uh, loves to talk to people. He takes John Bunyan in, and he begins to counsel him and explain to him that, that yes, no, you haven't committed. It's actually hard to do. And, yes, there's grace for you. And he begins to explain to him what salvation is. He begins to see the gospel. He reads uh, Luther's Galatians, I believe. Is that Galatians? I think it's Galatians, maybe, maybe Romans. I'll have to check that again. Uh, and he becomes knowledge of what God is offering. But listen, 18 months John Bunyan is still wrestling with this. 
can I be saved? God, give me the grace to give my heart to you. Give me this, this life. I see it, but I can't seem to do it. And so he wrestles with this for a very long time. He begins to have this uh, overwhelming fear that won't go away. I mean, he's even visiting the church. He looks up and he sees the bells up there, right? With the, with the, the, he thinks somehow the bells are going to fall on him and kill him. So there's this fear. Everywhere he turns, he thinks, this is going to be the end of me and I'll have no hope. This, this just covers him up. Um, it's not like our fears. Okay, I will share, I will share, share with you my fear. I don't know if I'll share my fear or not, but okay, I'll just say I know a man. I know a man who's afraid of chainsaws. I think I've mentioned this one time. Uh, I don't know why I have a morbid fear of chainsaws, but I do. I even saw a documentary one time on PBS where there's a ranger and the kids are cutting with chainsaws, and they're like in grade school, like, well, how is this even possible? This is not right. So I work with, okay, this person I know works with nurses, and they keep telling them stories of people who have no nose, and they've lost an ear. And so this guy I know, even his son, bought him a chainsaw one year for Christmas. It hasn't been used yet. <laughs> Something about it. I don't know. Um, by the way, Rodney DeLozier, this, this week, I think has cured this man from his fear of chainsaws. I'm not going to tell you what he told me. You can ask him. But I, I, think, I think I've almost got it. Uh, this person almost has it licked. <laughs> but this is a fear that we all have fears that, that you can get away from. I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of certain things. And we can avoid those things. This was not true of Bunyan. The, the weight of his sin was with him in the scriptures. He could not get away. This fear was unavoidable for him. This is really the beginning of his salvation experience, this weight of sin. I think for many of us can think about our Christian life and realize God also had us in, the, in that period of time where we felt that weight and unable to get apart. So I want to close up here today with and leaving you where the book leaves us, I think. Uh, understand back in the character of Christian, He's looking away from his home, and he goes to his family, and he tries to express to them, this, this city is going to burn. We've got to get out of here. And they ridicule him. They mock him. They think that he's lost his mind, and they just need to snap him out of it. So that they really abuse him in some ways, he says, and yet uh, he's unconvinced, and he's pleading with them. And again, you find out later in the book how much he pleads with them to come. Uh, but he's in this state, and remember we left him, and he says, what, what can I do? And I want to come back to the book and read this section, because God sends a man to him, and his name is, does anybody know? Evangelist, right. In many ways, evangelist is John Gifford in, in Bunyan's life. God sends this pastor and in the same way the evangelist slash pastor is here, he appears in reading from the book. Follow with me, uh, listening. Now I saw that one day while he was walking in the fields, he was reading his book, as was his habit, and his mind was greatly distressed. As he read, he burst out, as he had done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? I also saw him looking this way and then that, as if he would run. Yet he stood motionless. I perceived that he must not have known which way to go. Then I looked and saw a man named Evangelist coming to him. Upon reaching him, he asked, Why are you crying or crying out? Sir, he answered, I can see by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that I will be brought to judgment. I find that I am not willing to do the first, die, and not able to do the latter, that is, come to judgment. Then Evangelist asked, Why aren't you willing to die, since this life is so filled with evil? You notice that change there? The pastor didn't say, Oh, sorry, you. No, 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 you'll be okay. Here, let's have some coffee at our coffee bar. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, let's have a friendly conversation and give you some hope. doesn't. This wise pastor is letting the work of the law have its effect on his heart. Yeah. So why aren't you willing to die? 
Since this life is so filled with evil, why don't you, what's the problem? The man answered, because I fear that this burden on my back will drive me lower than the grave into hell itself. And sir, if I am not even able to face prison, then surely I cannot bear the judgment and its subsequent execution. Thinking about these things makes me cry. Evangelist asked, if this is your condition, why are you standing still? He answered, because I don't know where to go. Evangelist gave him a parchment scroll. Now, this is, this is some, some verses. He's taking them to the scriptures here. Inscribed with these words, flee from the wrath to come. The man read it, and looking at the evangelist very carefully, he asked, to where do I flee? Then pointing his finger to a very wide field, evangelist replied, can you see the wicked gate in the distance? Wicked, not wicked as in evil, wicked as in actually a small gate. The man said, no, he doesn't see it. Well, then do you see the shining light? He said, I think I do. Evangelist continued, well, keep your eyes fixed upon that light and go directly to it. Then you will see the gate, and when you knock on it, you will be told what to do. So we're going to leave you here at this point, uh, only to add that this light that he's referring to, you th- read in Psalms 119, it's a light, the, the word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path, or a light into my, a lamp unto my feet. So he, he's saying the gospel is making the path clear to you. Just follow, follow the light. And so he's, he's going to do that, but, but notice how we end here. So he sees in his dream that the man began to run. Now picture this, an open field, and the man is running. He's told to run, he's going to run. He runs down this field. What, what happens? What, what happens here? He had not run far from his own house when his wife and his children saw what was happening. They cried after him to return, but the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! He would not look behind, but fled toward the middle of the plain. His neighbors came out, so they're watching too. The the town is coming out to watch him. Some mocked, others threatened. Some, however, cried out for him to come back. And so he's running. So this is a great way to end this scene. He's running to the field. The town's yelling after him to come back. And two men are sent to go get him. A man named Obstinate and a man named Pliable. So if you'll follow with your book, our next time to meet, we'll, we'll find out what happens at the end of the chase. So we'll pray and we'll get some, some announcements. Lord God, we thank you, Father, for the grace and mercy that you brought to us in Christ. Lord, I pray that as we think about Pilgrim's Progress will think about the the preciousness of your scriptures, the call to us to flee to salvation. Lord, I pray if there's any in this room that know the weight of their sin, and you've shown that to them. Or Lord, if they're in this room and they don't recognize the weight of their sin, Lord, would you show that to them? And then show us Christ, wherein we have all the hope of heaven where righteousness dwells. Pray that you bless our morning and bless our time in service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.